Well, welcome back, everyone, to the White Tail Theories podcast. Today on the mic, we got special guest field staffer, Quentin Riggins, owner of Pioneer Outdoors. What's going on, Quentin? I'm just enjoying the day. It's, it's been a really good day so far, Sonny. I got some chores done at the beginning of the day. Got some shooting in before we've done this. So, so far, it's been great. There you go. There you go. Anytime you get some shooting in, that's always good. I'm hoping to shoot a little bit tomorrow. Uh, so, Quentin. Can you kind of give us a little bit of a rundown about yourself, your background, how you got into the outdoors, and then what got you into archery? Yeah, um, I can probably relate to a lot of uh, beginners nowadays getting into archery. When I first started, I didn't have anyone teaching me. I didn't have a coach. No one in my family really bow hunted. Um, it was just always an interest in me because I wanted to spend more time in the field. Uh, so when I was about 12, I bugged my parents to death about me learning how to shoot a bow. At that time, we went to a local archery shop, and I got a used bow, and they, they you know, tuned it for me, made sure it fit me very well. And then I started uh, on that path. Uh, I watched a lot of content on YouTube and articles and got some books from the library studying as much as I can. Um, so that's how it started. Uh, and then with me owning my own shop. So basically, since I didn't have anyone to teach me, I always went to the shop to ask for, for help mm -hmm. all the time. And at one point I went in there and they were like, hey, you know what? Uh, since you come here all the time, you can probably help us some. Uh, we'll pay you a little bit, but we'll mainly have you around, do some fletching for us, cut some arrows, and then that way you can get the gist of it. And I was like, wow, I would love that opportunity. And so that's how it started at that shop that actually gave me my first bow. And then um, I worked for some other shops around. I was basically a contractor filling in when they were busy and swamp during the season and uh it's a sad story but that shop actually disappeared and i didn't have a shop around so i was like well you know what i've had plenty of years under my belt i'll start something for myself so that's how pioneer outdoors started and uh so we're still going strong and every year has been getting better that's awesome. That's kind of like a, a, a passing of the torch, you know what I mean? From where you you learned your roots and, and how to work on bows and the ins and outs, the, the techniques of uh, archery tuning to basically taking it over. And now you passing on your education, your knowledge to your community. That's a really cool story. You don't hear that very often whatsoever. Uh, no, you don't. And uh, so right now it's... I'm the only shop in the area within a uh, hundred miles. Wow. So, yeah. So what I was going to say, being in Virginia, um, I would assume archery is very, very popular. Are you just in an area where there's not quite a lot of competition or what's the deal with so few shops within a hundred miles? So the, the few shops is the guy's been in it. The, the guy that I worked for has been in it so long and he just wanted to enjoy, you know, his, his life 
and he just wanted to retire. Um, there's there's a, a shop, I believe, near Fancy Gap that started last year, and they're doing pretty strong. Um, and then there's one near Roanoke. But other than that, that's, that's all around here. Surprisingly enough, um, there is a lot of competition shooting around here where mm -hmm. I'm located. Uh, it's basically the tri-state area. So there's a lot of competition that goes wrong, uh, around here, a lot of IBO competitions, ASA competitions, um, and just a lot of people just trying to have fun on the weekends during the summer. Yeah, isn't Trueball uh, Excel down there? Um... So, yeah, we actually have a lot of archery companies in Virginia. One of them uh, was Par Parker, uh, but they're no longer in business. Then there's Shrewd, QAD, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and then Excel and Trueball. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought archery is pretty popular down in Virginia. And, and like you said, the tri-state area, I know. There's always shoots down there from from what I've been seeing. So I want to kind of rewind here a little bit and I want to talk about your experiences in an archery shop. So I worked in a box store archery shop for a little bit, and I know that's a completely different. Uh, it's a completely different expectation when you go to a box store archery shop versus a pro shop, the kind of customer service that you're going to get uh, and the type of. I should say mm, quality of customer service that you're going to get too. Uh, not all, but for the most part. Can yeah, you, for sure. Can it's, you go ahead? It's more of a one-on-one -on -one experience. Uh, so they actually, instead of pumping out um, a lot of, a lot of bows at one time, uh, you actually get to learn a little bit when you get a bow from a pro shop, they spend a little bit more time with you setting it up. And uh, they're more willing to answer all your questions. I've noticed like at a big box store, uh, they don't spend as much time with you. And uh, some of them hasn't been doing the tuning for a long time as well mm -hmm. at a big box store. When, once you go to a pro shop, they've, they basically live and breathe it. You know, that's all they do every day. And, that that's how they make their living is on in that store so you get a little bit more uh expert advice when you go to a pro shop and they spend more time with you so i recommend everybody going to a pro shop you get the bow fitted to you uh, a little bit better and like i said uh they're more than willing to help you you know every inch of the way yeah i 100 percent agree with that and so one of the big things between box stores and pro shops too is basically just the straight up business model of a box store versus a pro shop. So a box store is looking to move weight. They want to push volume. So they don't necessarily care per se about repeat customers where a pro shop lives, lives and dies on its customer retention. So they want to make sure that you have a great experience so that you're coming back year after year after year. And, they don't have to go out and advertise like a big box store does to come in. So they're not spending the potentially millions of dollars in advertising. They already have their customers acquired. That's kind of the business end of things. Um, but I also want to talk a little bit about some of uh, your experiences. So 
I know mm -hmm. when, when I was working and I want to talk about some of the nightmares because I think, <laughs> I think Botex, pro shops, box stores, they all get a really bad name when it comes to, uh, I shouldn't say all, but they can have like, just like anybody, you can have your good days and bad days. Right. So sure. when, when it's time for the season, let's say pretty much from July to up until the day before the season, you're absolutely slammed with people lining out the door. Okay. You have mm -hmm. guys drawing bowbacks on the shelves, dry firing them. Uh, you have people doing ridiculous things with crossbows, like all kinds of stuff. So for example, like I, I saw uh, a customer one time dry fire a bow. Uh, basically it, it get derailed. The limbs come out of the pockets and then he just hung mm -hmm. it right back on the shelf. I've seen a customer. <laughs> I've seen a customer also do that same thing. The the bow didn't derail, but again, just hung it right back on the shelf. So those limbs could have been splintered if I went to shoot that bow to potentially start getting it tuned up for a customer, or a customer wanted to try that bow. That could have been a catastrophic injury. So can you kind of tell me some of the uh, the nightmares that you've seen over over the years of working in a in a pro shop? Yeah, so definitely. My first month, uh, a guy came and he was uh, he was a big guy, a really big guy, uh, three hundred plus pounds. You know, six four. Uh, we were working on the bows, and I was I was you know learning. Um, and then we turned around, and he drew the bow back with his fingers, and he went past the draw stop, so the <laughs> bow locked up at full draw. And I turned around and I, I told, uh, I told the guy that was teaching me, I was like, you may, you may want to see this. And he turned around, grabbed the ratchet straps real quick and, you know, done the limbs and the cams and released pressure off of that. But that was the scariest moment I've ever witnessed at, at a, uh, a pro shop, you know, just this giant of a guy, you know, picking a bow up, pulling back with his fingers and it just locks up and he doesn't know what to do he's scared and i didn't know what to do at the time either and you know when i when i bumped the guy that was teaching me i was like hey you look at this hurry up hurry up and uh so he got that but that was a scary moment for me and then um you know new people uh pulling back uh they they don't know how to hold the release correctly so they shoot in the ceiling shoot above the target oh stuff yeah like that. oh yeah oh yeah uh so are you guys are you guys um in virginia wide open for crossbows like is anybody allowed to use crossbows in virginia yes they are okay so i remember the first year that crossbows legalized in pennsylvania that's when i was working at that box store right and dude mm -hmm. we were selling them like hotcakes man like selling them by the skid and everybody was getting a crossbow well because they haven't been legalized and that was the first time that they've been legalized, nobody really knew how to use them. Like no people were coming in that have never shot them. So they're holding them yeah. like shotguns and rifles and they're wrapping their fingers up over the stocks. Mm. I think I saw five thumbs come off that, that season. Like they take their thumb off at the knuckle. Yeah. I've actually uh, met a guy with a, with a nub thumb and that's why mm -hmm. we, we started to talk about it. 
they didn't have guards uh, for a while. And, yep. You know, now they came a long ways. But, yeah, you definitely want to keep your fingers underneath that guard. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, all right. So now that we kind of broke the ice there with some of our uh, our archery horror stories, let's kind of dive into the meat and potatoes of the podcast. And what I really want to talk about is basically walking people through how to properly succeed in, in bow hunting. And let's let's keep it let's keep it bow hunting related. We're getting close to the season here. So uh let's start at step one and let's talk about the basics of understanding how to tune your bow, if you will. Let's not take them through a college course, but understanding and potentially troubleshooting your bow so that if if you see that uh X is happening, you know why it is, and you can say, Hey, uh you can go to your pro shop and be like Hey, I'm getting a uh, tear left, whatever. I'm may- maybe that's even going too far, but do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. All right, perfect. Sure. So, to start out with, and I think today uh, is, is a lot of people's out doing their self, but you never want to overbow yourself. Um, a lot of people shooting 80 pounds that can barely pull it back. That's one of the issues into tuning, I would say. You want to you want to make sure that you can raise the bow to the target and pull straight back, um, and you know keep that repetitive. Uh, you don't want to overbow yourself. That's the beginning that I would start out, and then other than that, I would make sure that your draw length is correct. Um, I see a lot of people with you know overdraw still, or uh, they're they're serving on the center serving is you know at their cheek, and then they got a long D loop. Um, if you can get a, a bow fit it to you, you're going to be more accurate. And so that's where I would start out first. Um, other than that, I would make sure the bow is in spec. So you can refer to your manufacturer for the spec details, make sure the axle axle brace height, uh, the strings and cables are, you know, uh, two length. And then uh, transition to camling. Uh, pull the pull the bow back at full draw, and you'd be able to see that camling. Uh, and then synchronize, sync your cams. So at full draw, make sure the cams are hitting the cables at the same time. And then when you go to uh, paper tune. There, there's a lot of things that you can do with paper tuning, bare shaft tuning, um, but that's that's where I would start. I would I would start with make make sure that you can get a bow that fits you, and especially if you're new, don't over quote unquote bow yourself. Make sure that you can pull it back easy and be comfortable with that bow. Um, you definitely owe it to the animal and and yourself to be as proficient as you can when bow hunting. Yeah, I 100% agree. And so kind of to reiterate what Quentin's saying here is, so if if you're going through your draw cycle, right, you're going through your shot process and you're raising basically your arrow point so that it's pointed way up above your head, you're overbowed. You should be able to more or less draw that bow back from like uh, at eye level. Let's say the trajectory of your arrow is roughly pointed at like eye level or or lower, correct? 
Correct. Yes. Um, and with the way that bows are today, they're so efficient that, and as long as you have your equipment set up properly, you're not going to have any issues getting penetration in almost every single animal within North America, every species. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I totally agree with that. So, uh, that's one of the big things too. I think you, that we should talk about too is, is draw length. Um, I think a lot of people really, really, uh, overdraw, get their, get their, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know how, how they get into these situations if they're potentially going to a shop that is just getting them in and out or if they're, cause I know the secondhand market's really huge. Um, yeah. That they just aren't then getting the bow set up for them. Cause how many pictures do you see where, like you said, the center servings like back in their cheek, their, their kisser buttons, like up at their nose, uh, <laughs> like all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, that's going to greatly reduce your accuracy right away. So Correct. let's, let's now dive into the next step. And like I said, let's kind of keep it, keep it relatively basic and then we'll go down the rabbit holes. But can you talk about the process of selecting arrows? Cause I know, and have seen had, have had discussions with people, hunters that are just going and picking up arrows at a yard sale, arrows at Walmart and knowing nothing about those arrows, just that they're arrows, full length arrows, and they're going to take them in the woods and start shooting them. Yeah. So with, without going as deep as I can, um, usually, well, not usually, all arrow ma- manufacturers has a spine chart. Um, you can you can type in the arrow that you're looking at uh, that you like and type in spine chart. You'll get that spine chart, and it will tell you on one side the weight of the bow that you have and your draw length, and then you determine what spine with the two options, your, your weight and your draw length. And that will give you the spine. Um, spines is very critical. Um, so when an arrow is shot, it flexes in, in air. That's called paradox. So if you have a flimsy arrow, uh, say you shoot, Say you shoot 65 pounds and you have 500 spine arrows. That thing is going to be a noodle in air. Um, so, and and that determines your accuracy as well, especially when you want to tune broadheads uh, at you know longer distances uh, past 30. That definitely matters. It, it gives you more accuracy if your arrow is spined correctly. So kind of to piggyback off this too, when you look at an arrow and you see that number on the arrow, that's what Quentin is referring to as the spine. It's not the weight of the arrow. So no. Yeah. When, so when, it should be, go ahead. it should be, uh, it should be 300, 340, 400. Uh, it's going to be triple digits. That's going to be your spine. The, the, the decimal reading is the grains per inch to just simplify that. Right. I, I think a lot of people get confused on that um, too. So it also doesn't work like you would think it would work. So the the higher the number, the weaker the spine, the lower the number, the stiffer the spine. 
So Quentin, do you want to kind of uh, talk about again the let's let's dive into Aerospine here a little bit, but not go too far down the rabbit hole. Okay. So, for example, let's say that you're somebody like me. My my draw length is 30 inches, and I shoot 72 pounds. Uh, what would you recommend for me as a spine? I would I would put you at uh I would put you at a three hundred. Uh, that's that that's what I would do. I would put you at a a three hundred or two fifty. Now a lot of spines are different with the manufacturer as well, so you have to take that as a consideration as well. Um, but that that's where I would put you. I I would. I would definitely feel comfortable putting you right there. Um, and then, you know, your, your small, smaller guys, let's say 28 inches or less with less poundage, they would be at the 400, 500 uh, spine arrows. Right. So uh, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. So I shoot, I shoot 300s. Um, and the reason that I kind of asked you about myself was, uh, I'm kind of a weird, weird guy where I can like fall in between, you know what I mean? Like you said, the 250 mm -hmm. to 300, um, and potentially even, uh, a 340, depending mm -hmm. upon what my tip weight is, uh, uh, fletching, so on and so forth, length of the arrow, blah, blah, blah. So that would be the next rabbit hole that I want to dive down is, for people that are potentially on the edge where let's say you're, 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 you're 28 inches, you're 28 inches, but you're shooting 68 pounds. That would be a person that you would consider on the edge, right? Where they could, yeah. they could shoot a 400 or they could shoot a 340. Mm -hmm. Would you, yeah. would, can you kind of talk about the benefits to going down in spine, going to a stiffer spine versus going to a weaker spine? well uh if you go to a, a if you go to a weaker spine you can make it stiff by adding weight up front um and that's what i would recommend uh to a lot of people to get their foc a little bit higher is to, to add some more weight up front uh if you're in that you know two spine ratio uh you can definitely do that with some modifications with inserts and broadheads um so that, that's what i would tell people is definitely start out like that add some weight up front and uh you know it, it the outcome will be a better arrow so what what makes it a better arrow what are some of the issues that you're going to run into if you potentially go with that weaker spine it's going to be really hard to tune so when you shoot through paper, you're going to have uh, a giant tear. Uh, when you bear shaft, it's going to be kicking to the left or right severely. Um, like I said, it's it's just going to be a noodle in air, um, and you definitely don't want that in a setup. So when it comes to uh, assuming that you're going to tune your bow, when it comes time to shoot your broadheads, and especially if you're shooting fixed blade broadheads, that's where you're going to run into those planing issues. So Correct. when your arrow comes out of the bow, it's basically going to cock like, like with what Quentin was saying, it's going to be a noodle. 
and it's going to cock one way or the other, left or right. And the instead of the fletchings steering it, now we're kind of getting a little technical here, but I just want to really <laughs> kind of paint the picture here. Uh, instead of the fletchings now steering it, the broadhead's steering it. So if the broadhead is kicked to the right, the arrow is then going to drive to the right and vice versa for the left. So with mm -hmm. what Quentin was saying with that weaker or that stiffer spine, what you can do is you have room, you have more room to play with. You have more room for error. So by adding more point weight up front, you can weaken that spine and get the desired uh, spine out of that arrow. It'll be much, much easier to tune. Um, that's one of the things that I learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, uh, if you're a, if you're a newbie, you, you, you get all your information basically either at the shop or, or online. Um, and most people, they do learn the hard way. They have to figure out for themselves uh, when they buy arrows and they're, you know, they get frustrated when they buy them at Walmart or your big box stores and, and they don't really ask anybody or, or look it up. They just grab and go. Um, you're really doing yourself a, a disadvantage uh, when you do that. Yeah, I 100% agree. So let's now dive into the, the rabbit hole that is arrows. Let's mm -hmm. talk about the pros and cons of the different arrows. Weight or heavy, heavy arrows versus light arrows. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about long versus short. That's not really a huge debate. I don't think anymore, but um, that whole deal. Let's let's dive into that. All right. Um, so when it comes to arrows and when, when I build bows for customers, I'm looking at a, a few things, their draw length and their weight to begin out with. And then I have uh, a couple of spines that I give customers, letting them shoot with different point weights. And then uh, through, through paper, we kind of determine the best weight arrow for their setup and how they shoot. Everybody shoots a little bit different. Um, you know, no one's a machine. Uh, so I tune, you know, I make sure that the arrow fits their setup uh, before they leave. And then we can determine a correct grains per inch arrow, how heavy or light that arrow is. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like a happy medium guy. There you I go. Like my arrows, I like my arrows being between uh I'll crunch it a little bit more. I like my arrows to be between 500 to 600. Uh, but that, that especially if you shoot fixed pins, you don't want to go incredibly heavy. Um, and same, same with like if you're out west and you shoot a single pin, uh, a really heavy arrow is, is great. But if you have to, you know, touch some animals, you're, again, you're at a disadvantage. Um, now say if you shoot, uh, a, a little bit heavier than 600 grains and you're a fixed play guy in the tree stand, you pull back and, uh, with your pin gaps, because you shoot a heavy arrow, your 30 yard pin is out at a branch. Well, if the, if the deer's at 40 yards and you shoot, guess what you're shooting? You're shooting that branch. Um, you're not shooting that animal. Uh, so that's why I like being a, uh, 
a medium guy is because you do get the weight and then you don't sacrifice the speed as well. So, the, but even with women and children, I try to allow their setups to do as, as much as they can. Of course, they're not shooting as far as, uh, as a lot of other people might. Uh, but that, that's where I would say uh, I feel comfortable in, especially with whitetail is 500 to 600 and that will take down anything in north america so let's kind of talk about the limitations of of arrows because i think that will um kind of paint the picture maybe a little bit better so mm -hmm. what limitations do you get in in light arrows lighter arrows mm -hmm. well with with lighter arrows limitations is from a 3d standpoint uh say you're with a really gr good group of guys right and you shoot a you shoot light lightest arrow everybody's in the 12 ring you shoot you hit one of their arrows your arrows gonna kick bad and you know landing in the eight or outside of the 10 um uh light arrows don't penetrate as well uh, light arrows, you know, is for the need for speed guys, and they turn out to regret that decision uh, when, you know, it comes to crunch time. Um, light arrows are, you know, less grains per inch. They're a little bit flimsy, uh, and that's why I like a happy medium. You know, I, I don't like he heavy, heavy arrows, but I'm a happy medium guy. Um, but with light arrows, again, I'll recap. Uh, they don't penetrate as well. Uh, they'll get to the target quicker. But, you know, if, if you don't have a lot of penetration, it, it's not good. All right. So covered the pros and cons there. Uh, you're, gonna, you're basically going to get a faster arrow, uh, shrink your pin gaps a little bit. Uh, you're not going to have as high of a trajectory. A uh, little bit more room for error, which I don't. How much do you think this even plays a role anymore with the age of rangefinders, as far as guessing yardages? How much do you think that plays a role in hunting scenarios versus like I can see how it makes sense in the tournament world, but pretty much every hunter has a rangefinder nowadays, more or less, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, if if you can, you know, be around uh 260 280 300 i mean that's that's still so fast a lot of people want to be above 300 and to be honest if you shoot a fixed blade it is a little bit more difficult to tune a fixed blade broadhead if you're above 300 feet per second um but with with the bows being as fast as they are nowadays and like you said earlier efficient um, you can bump your arrow weight. Don't be afraid to do that. These bows are so, it's, it's mind-blowing every year. You, you think that, that any bow manufacturer can't do what, you know, a, a step up and they do. It's in incredible. But don't be afraid to go a little bit more heavier because every year bows are getting more efficient. Um, and uh, like I said, to me, it, it doesn't really make a big of a difference. 
uh, especially if you're whitetail hunting. Um, the you're not shooting past 50 most of the time. You're not shooting past, you know, 30 most of the time. It just depends on where you're located. But uh, to me, I, I think weight triumphs uh, light arrows to a significant degree. Uh, it, it pays off in the long run. You never want to have regret. And like I said earlier, you do owe it to the animal. Um, you don't want to wound an animal especially if it's your first year um and and you turn out to to wound an animal it just leaves you with a a bad feeling and you'll always remember that yeah without a doubt without a doubt uh so i want to kind of rewind here a little bit and touch on what quentin just said about the speed and fixed blade broadheads so when you are shooting those higher speeds you're going to drastically limit the type of broadheads that you can shoot as far as fixed blades. So like the big fixed blades, they're going to plane more on you. And when he was talking about uh, kind of when you run into like tuning issues or what I'm saying, this planing issue, if you're, if you jack up your form a little bit or you pull, put a little bit too much string face pressure on the string where you're not getting the string to basically hit perfectly center in the arrow shaft and the, the arrow basically comes off the bow one direction or the other because you're going so fast, the fletchings are not going to take over and then the broadhead's going to take over and then you're going to have that same issue like I mentioned earlier where it's going to shoot left or right. Um, when you are in a little bit of those slower speeds, you don't have that issue quite as bad because your fletchings can then overcome. Um, it has to do with aerodynamics and that kind of BS. So we'll stay out of that, that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so let's move on to heavy arrows and let's talk about the pros and cons of heavy arrows. Uh, Cause I know that this is probably one of the hottest topics going right now. Yeah. So uh, it, it blew up in the, in the last two years. A lot of people have been asking me uh, how heavy can I go? And, you know, you, you can go as heavy as you want to, but you have limitations with, with everything when it comes to, to archery. If you go too heavy, like I said, that, that pin gap, if you're a fixed blade guy, or if you go out west, you don't want to be launching 800 grain arrows um, at mule deer. Uh, but going back, like I said earlier, I like to be a happy medium guy, that 500, 600 grain is is awesome you still get the speed you get the penetration when it comes to to arrows and you want a, a nice setup uh what i prefer people to do is to get a smaller diameter or a micro diameter arrow um now the fallback to micro diameter arrows are the components uh it's it's very hard to find uh, a component with micro diameter arrows that will give you um, a tight tolerance uh, inserts, outserts, stuff like that. Uh, and most of them don't really give you the FOC that you need and don't have the weight up front that you need to make that a good arrow. But these, uh, these arrows that are small diameter are nice. And then you can, 
uh, get more penetration because you have less surface area on that shaft. Uh, plus you have the weight. So uh, I know my arrows right now, they're, they're 575 grains and they're, they've, they've been the same arrows I've ran for the past two years and they just dig into the dirt after I shoot through an animal clean pass through and they're in the dirt, you know, six inches. Yeah. So what Quentin's talking about as far as like the micros go and like the benefit of the micros versus uh, like a standard diameter shaft is uh, with that, with that smaller diameter and less surface area, basically your broadhead is going to punch a hole through. And then when that micro goes through, there's hardly any drag because it's going through a bigger hole which was the mm -hmm. ferrule of the broadhead and you don't have any of that resistance. So with penetration, penetration goes through the roof when it comes to micros versus standard diameter, where let's say a standard diameter arrow is going to have the exact same, uh, thickness as the ferrule of the broadhead. Well, you're going to have drag that entire 28 inches or however long your arrow is pulling on whatever it's going through in the animal. Um, so that's definitely something to consider. Um, one of the ways around yeah. that too, though, on a standard diameter is potentially shooting a, uh, an outsert system, correct? Correct. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into the, the, the nitty gritty here with like aftermarket components and then what you can use and what you can get for aftermarket as far as your recommendations to improve your setup for various scenarios. So let's kind of start out with like women and youth or potentially uh, men with shorter draw lengths that are, are shooting a little bit lower poundage. Uh, let's kind of talk about that a little bit, how they can, how they can get the most efficiency out of their arrow. Okay. So uh, with kids and uh, shorter guys and women, I would recommend uh, having a uh, small diameter arrow, a fixed blade broadhead. I would recommend uh, a one piece uh, fixed blade. And um, like what? A, so th there's there's quite a few. Uh, I know Slick Trick made made uh, made one this year. Tooth of Arrows, another company. Uh, there's Cutthroats, On Wheels, Tough Heads, um, Annihilator. They're they're a new company. Um, and then, uh, the, the grandfather, uh, of fixed blades would be a muzzy. And then there's Magnus that I recommend to people as well. But if you can get a one piece broadhead, uh, is, it's going to be a little bit better and then you can sharpen it yourself. Um, after, you know, every, every harvest and keep them blades sharp with a, uh, with a one piece, you're you're basically saving money in the long on the long run when you buy a one piece broadhead because you can just sharpen it yourself. Um, but the it's going to be more uh, durable with a one piece than uh, a replacement blades. Uh, once you get that one piece up front with a brass insert and it's super sharp. After, after you can sharpen it yourself, um, you're going to get more penetration. But that that's where I would recommend uh, youth 
to to be at is to get a one piece broadhead, uh, uh, more point weight up front, uh, with uh, a brass insert, uh, so your uh, FOC is where it needs to be, so you can get more penetration because your draw length and your poundage is not going to get you there. So what what are you what are you thinking of as far as point weight and then? What are you thinking of as far as FOC? Like, what range do you recommend uh, that type of shooter to be in? Fifteen to seventeen percent FOC is where I would put uh, that type of shooter at. Okay, and then roughly, uh, what what kind of point weight on average are is is that going to be around? Uh, well, you you can play with a lot of stuff, but. Between a hundred a hundred and twenty five grain broadhead uh, with a brass insert, uh, it just depends on what type of components that you're running and what type of arrow uh, that customer is using. But like I said, I would I would prefer everybody to use. Uh, small diameter or micro diameter uh arrows uh no matter you know what their age limit is or uh poundage right right yeah i i agree with that too all right uh so let's talk about the the foc rabbit hole now that we kind of talked about the heavy arrow thing um and this is also another hot topic. Speaking of which, actually, you know what? I want to rewind here a little bit. So what was the heaviest arrow that you've been requested to build? Um, I'm sorry. What was that? What's the heaviest arrow that you've been requested to build? 800 grains, oh which I gosh. think is ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. Dude, that's crazy. They, 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 they tell me that, and I just look at them, and I'm like, um, uh, it, it just it just blows my mind uh and you know we have a discussion about it uh and then they usually change their minds but i have a lot of people lately coming in and they're like hey uh so they they see something you know, on their phones or they hear something and they show me a photo and i'm like yeah you can definitely get penetration but you're going to limit yourself with yardage um and uh so that's how that goes but you know usually after we talk for five ten minutes they're like you know what happy medium is where i want to be and i'm like yeah right there's where you need to be bud so i mean if if at my specs right if i was shooting an 800 grain arrow uh, a trad bow would probably be faster than what i would be shooting (laughs) yeah like yeah. that that to me is just mind blowing like mind blowing um so let let's now that now that we got that out of the way let's talk about the foc uh craze so what foc is is just front of center and a lot of this stuff came from the ashby reports and the ranchberry mm-hmm. promoting it the whole deal so uh it's been a big fad and there is some validity to it without a doubt yeah. So is there anything that you want to add as far as the introduction of FOC onto that? 
Um, I mean, you did a great job. FOC um, goes back to uh, steering the broadhead as well and, and, you know, penetration. But you pretty much hit it on the, on the head with what you just said. Right, right. Yeah, definitely steering and penetration. Uh, all right. So the thought process from what I'm understanding is the higher the FOC, the more penetration you're going to get, the better uh, you're going to kill an animal. All right. But that is not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, one, how you even build FOC on an arrow. And then two, uh, why it makes things so difficult to get extreme FOC on an arrow. Yeah. So with, with FOC, the extreme part would be, well, let's go back and determine your spine. Um, if, if you have uh, a lower weight or your draw length isn't past the, uh, you know, 27 inches, you're, you can't really do much with that spine. You're, you're limited on what components that you can use to get you, um, the crazy FOC that is, is advertised nowadays. Now going back to a regular guy, um, 28 inches plus 60 to 70 pounds, you know your possibilities are are a lot more um you can you can drop a recommended spine and then play with your point weights to figure out what uh arrow weight is best for your shooting style and best out of your bow you could do that um you can play with components with brass inserts outserts um, I'm not a fan of, uh, you know, like half inserts. I've never been a fan of that. They, they, they break easy. Um, but, and then, you know, your broadhead, what's, what's steering the whole arrow. Um, I always recommend people getting a, uh, a heavier grain broadhead, uh, 120 plus. And then they can figure out with their components what their air weight will total as. Gotcha. So <clears throat> kind of if if that didn't make sense to you, uh, at least the beginning part of it, the issue that people have with FOC is the, the limitations of their body type. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you're five foot tall, and you're not spud web, you're not going to dunk. If you're seven foot tall, you might be able to dunk, or you should be able to dunk. It's the exact same thing for FOC. If you have a short draw length, you're very, very limited in building a a heavy front of center arrow. If you have a very <laughs> long draw length, it's much easier to do that with, like what Quentin said, components, manipulating um, spines, that kind of deal. Uh, so in theory, the premise of, of FOC, as far as being a pro and, and let's, let's put this into perspective too. So you don't need to get extreme to have decent FOC. 
and to get the effects right. of FOC. Do you want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so you, you definitely don't need, uh, you know, uh, 180 grain broadhead up front just to pass through an animal. Um, uh, you know, like I said, nowadays people coming into the shop uh, wanting an 800 grain arrow, and I can't really make that happen with their either statue or, or, you know, talking to them about, well, there's advantages and disadvantages to everything. Um, you know, you're, you'll still pass through an animal with, you know, a 520 grain, uh, uh, arrow. And, um, it, it all goes back to, you know, you, you don't want to over, overdo it. Sure. Penetration be great. You can do it. But if you can still pass through an animal with a hundred grain lighter setup, you know, what's the difference? You're still going through that animal. Um, just, I, I think a lot of people's just taking it out of hand when it comes to FOC. They're, they're just overdoing it. And, uh, and they just need to uh, just calm down a little bit and uh, just, just look at all the, uh, the testings that a lot of people has done passing through animals. Um, you don't need a crazy amount of FOC to go through um, an uh, animal at all. Right, right. If you're somewhere in the range of 10% to 18%, you're more than capable and have plenty of FOC to get a solid pass through, again, through all the animals in North America under mm -hmm. like normal specs of like shooting what is it what's the average 28 and a half or 29 inches um 65 pounds something like that is the national average yeah all right so <clears throat> let's uh let's get away from that rabbit hole one of the things that i really want to talk about since seasons have already opened and are going to be opening very soon is broadhead tuning so yep. I've had a lot of people already reach out to me and ask for advice on their broadheads aren't hitting where their field points are. Um, okay. One of the things that I want to mention right away is they shouldn't always hit exactly the same. So you may need to do mm -hmm. some tweaking with your bow to basically bring your field points and your broadheads together. Uh, it'll yep. be way different than what your field points on. So uh, I'll, I'll shut up now and basically give you the mic and we'll go from there. Yeah, so uh, it all starts with having the bow set up for you and tune. Um, if the bow's not tuned, you're going to go crazy uh, to try to figure it out. So the first step is to make sure that, you're, that the bow is tuned um, and that it fits you well. The, the next step is with your arrows, and this is overlooked. Um, this is overlooked in the archery community. When you install components before you install them, make sure that both ends of your arrows are are flushed. Um, make sure that they're even and round. When you when you cut them in the when you cut them on a saw, uh, you can have a little. A little play and they're not going to be perfectly you know 
uh, cut evenly. Uh, so after every arrow that I cut and build, uh, G5 makes a, a tool that you can put the arrow on and, and grind both ends to make sure that it's squared. And then you can insert your components. Um, uh, that is overlooked like crazy. Um, if your components isn't squared, well, your broadhead is off plane. Um, so I do that and then uh, I shoot I shoot my field tip and then I shoot my broadhead. And uh, from that, that's when you go to your rest. Uh, you can follow your field tip with your rest and you're going, you know, very, very, very small uh, clicks or movement. Um, this is where having a micro adjustable rest comes in handy. You're not moving it a lot. You're just doing a couple clicks and you can start seeing your broadhead come into your field tip as long as your bow's tuned and uh, your components is installed correctly. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. What about, okay, so and now I, I this is going to be tough because it's hard to not know necessarily potentially without like doing the paper tune and seeing the actual shot. But I'm going to throw some like hypotheticals out here for you. All right. Okay. Let, let's say that your field point is hitting perfectly in the bull at 30 yards, 40 yards but your broadhead is planing down and to the right. What is a potential issue that you might be running into? Uh, well, so with that scenario, your uh, center shot may be off or your, uh, you're either knock high or knock low uh, to answer that. So where your, your rest is in relation to your D loop, it could be coming off either high or low um, and not, you know, even. Uh, a lot of bows tune uh, a little bit not high, but uh, most of the part, you want to make sure that the arrow is coming off of the bow straight. So going back to uh, paper tuning, uh, almost anybody can paper tune at their house. It doesn't, it doesn't take a lot. You can get a cardboard box, cut the center out of it, and uh, get a piece of, um, you know, uh, printer paper or uh, notebook paper and, and shoot through that, and then you can see for yourself. There's plenty of um, diagrams on Google how to paper tune uh, that, could, that could help you. But in, in that scenario, you'll, you'll still move your, your rest if, if you don't have a press, you can't really do anything with your uh, D-loop location. So you would move that rest again to make sure that the arrow is coming out of your bow straight. Gotcha. All right. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of some other ones. I know that uh, basically, it, it, I mean, it's almost all the same answer. So like, if somebody's shooting right with their broadheads and they're hitting the bull with their field points, it's this exact same issue. I mean, it's just, it's a left or right. Yeah. It's a left and right up and down, you know, scenario when you shoot your field tip first and then you, 
and then your broadhead. Um, but you want to begin with, you know, paper tuning and, uh, and then you want to go out to a, uh, a target and make sure that you don't shoot into a bag target. <laughs> you want to, you want to shoot into like, like a, a Glendale or a 3d target. Um, and then you can, and then you can know for sure what you need to do, uh, with, with your rest. Right. Right. All right. But, uh, but just to go back, it isn't, it isn't that hard, uh, to, to, to tune your broadheads to your field tips. Um, a lot of people think that it's hard and they're going to mechanicals, but with, uh, with a fixed blade, you get more penetration and more durability. Um, all that you have to do is move the rest, you know, uh, sixteenths in, uh, inches. It's not much. It's not thirty seconds of an inch. It's it's not that much. And then you can have better flight out of your broadheads. So here's the thing that like bothers me and like jacks up my OCD. Okay, so I know that if I'm going, let's say I'm I'm hitting right of my field points and that I need to move my rest to the right. Correct. Yes. Okay. So I know that my tune is going to be off. Like I'm not going to have a perfect bullet hole. Well, and that my, my field points aren't technically going to be shooting, uh, perfect with my bow being perfectly in tune. Mm Hmm. Um, I don't want to go into a rabbit hole, <laughs> but, uh, uh, at, at some degree you, you are right. Yeah. You, at some degree you are right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, if the, if, if, if your spine is good, if your FOC is good, your bows tuned the correct way. And uh, you don't slap, you know, a giant surface area broadhead up front. Um, most of the time, you're going to be pretty good. You can go back to the shop and shoot through paper, and uh, you'll you'll be there. Um, there's just a lot of factors, mm-hmm. and that's why I said I didn't want to jump into the to the rabbit hole. Uh, I don't I don't want to go there. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of factors, but as long as you don't have a giant surface area up front with a broadhead um, and everything's tuned and good to go, if you can move that rest just a little bit and you can bring that broadhead into your field tip and you can go back and shoot through paper, um, most of the time it'll, it, it will be okay. Um, now, if it's not, you'll have to, to look at some stuff uh either tuning wise or the relationship with the uh the spine and the foc gotcha gotcha all right so i think one of the things that we potentially didn't cover yet uh and i want to cover here before we wrap up is fletchings and understanding actually what fletchings do so okay i think that's one of the biggest uh things that are overlooked and one of the biggest things that aren't understood is 
how fletchings actually work on an arrow. I think a lot of people, a lot of hunters just grab an arrow and whatever veins are on them are on them, whatever configuration they're in, they're in and mm-hmm. so on. So school us on fletchings. So nine times out of 10, if you buy uh, arrows from uh, a big box store or uh, a shop and they just cut them and give it to you, nine times out of 10, the, the veins on the back will just be straight. They're not going to have any offset or helical. What veins do is they, they guide the arrow. Um, I recommend uh, offset. Um, I'm not a big fan of a, a steep helical because that longer yardage is going to parachute and the back end is just going to be, you know, waving at you. Um, so what I would recommend is like a two to three degree offset with a fixed blade. That way you're getting enough spin to guide that broadhead uh, where you want it to be. Gotcha. Uh, all right. So let's talk about profiles of veins as far as height, length, that kind of stuff. Um, surface area. Mm-hmm. Can you explain how surface area correlates to potentially uh, a broadhead? Um, yeah. So what what I've found is that shield cuts, uh, you know, from two and a half, three inches uh, steer uh, the best. Uh, blazers are great. Um, and then um, boning, boning also makes a vein um, called the heat. Um, and it's a, a, a stiff, low-profile pro- vein as well. Um, I like my veins to be really stiff. Uh, Levi Morgan came out with uh, his own veins, um, and they're, they're super stiff. They glue on very well. I like using them. AAE has some veins that are good as well. Them heat veins are good, but um, a low-profile you know, two and a half, three inch vein in the back with an offset is going to be uh, the best setup for uh, fixed blades. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So and uh, I, I, I want to make this point as well, because I, I didn't touch up on it as um, a, a heavier, a heavier arrow will make your bow a little bit more quiet as well. Um but I, I, I didn't say that earlier. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Uh, I completely missed that too. So let, uh, just to kind of piggyback off of that, when Quentin's talking about happy mediums as far as that's the direction he likes to go, okay? When you, when you select a, uh, a happy medium arrow, you're going to get the best of both worlds as far as penetration and speed. You're going to get the best of both worlds as far as uh, efficiency being transferred into your arrow and then uh, not into your bow, which makes it noisy. Um, not having to throw a whole bunch of crap on your strings and your limbs and stuff to try to silence it down, which ultimately ends up taking efficiency out of your bow. Uh, Correct. So just piggybacking a little bit off of that. But to circle back to um, fletchings and broadheads, um, is it is it true if all right so let's say you're having again this is this is very variable so if you're having issues with your broadheads 
Could mm -hmm. the answer be that you just need more vein surface area on your arrow? Yes, it could be. Yes, uh, you are right. Um, that's when you would go to, uh, you know, like a three inch profile vein uh, to steer that uh, broadhead a little bit better. Um, like I said before, if you just bomb from buy uh, arrows from a box store, you get them from a box and they're just cut and given to you, the veins is not going to steer the arrow as well as they could if they were at an offset or a helical. If they're at an offset or a helical, as soon as the arrow's launched, it starts to rotate. If you have a straight fletch, you know, it's it, it takes time for it to start picking up um, uh, when to start rotating. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then kind of basically the offset of what I said, if you don't want to go with more veins, you need to go with a smaller broadhead. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like I said earlier, um, the, the broadhead companies that I mentioned, um, if you can, if you can find a, uh, a one piece fixed blade broadhead, uh, in the long run, uh, you get the durability and then you can sharpen, sharpen them yourself um but you don't need a lot of surface surface area out front um you know and it, it it all goes back to when you release that arrow you should be 100 percent confident in the shot um you, you don't need a lot of surface area up front to damage uh the internals of an animal uh, if you shoot them in the right spot. Right, right. Um, so lastly, I know there's a, a big craze going on. Uh, four fletch versus three fletch. Yeah, so I, I, I've done some testing with uh, four fletch and three fletch. Um, so with a four fletch, what, what you could do is you can clot the arrows to uh, give you a little bit better tune. And what I mean by uh, clocking is uh, every arrow has a weak and a stiff spine because they're wrapped. Um, so when 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 I uh, fletch arrows, uh, I buy my arrows from. Black Eagle, Victory, and Sirius. So they're already spine aligned. But if if you don't if if you don't have that option, what you could do is uh, well, there's two methods. One works a little bit better than the other. Uh, one method is you can dip them in the the bathtub with water, and they'll float and they indicate that spine. Or what I do is I put them in a press and I can press that arrow and it will flex on its weakest spine. And then I can mark that and indicate it to the relationship of how I flesh the arrows. Um, so with, with, a with a four fletch, you can, you have a little bit more room of arrow air to, uh, to tune that air arrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, and then, uh, three fletch, um, does good as well. You can still clock it. It's not as minute as four fletch, 
uh, I would say. But um, a four-fletch is a little bit more uh, quieter from what I've seen uh, doing some testing in the yard with uh, a video at the target. Um, and uh, they, they tend to group a little bit better um, than three-fletch at longer distances. Um, but, you know, going back to uh, – to spine and everything, um, just tinkering around with some stuff. Uh, it it just it just all depends on on what your bow likes in relations to the uh, to the arrow. Because I've shot four fletch out of a bow with a three fletch downrange at you know sixty yards, and it worked really well. And then I got another bow, and it done the opposite. So it, it, it just all goes back to what your bow likes as uh, a, an arrow setup. So that you brought up a really good point that I wanted to talk about earlier is um, I would say, yes, while bows are made on a, 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 a line, a conveyor belt, uh, a whatever uh, machines, they're being machine made. They all have different personalities. So what one Matthews V3 likes, the next Matthews V3 may not like. And that goes mm -hmm. almost across the board for all manufacturers, um, in my experience with bows anyway. Have you kind of seen the same yeah. thing? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, every bow is a little bit different. And you just have to, like I said at the beginning, fit it to the customer and, um, and go from there. But every bow is a little bit different. And, um, and, you know, from trial to error, you, uh, you just have to figure out what that bow likes the best. And then once you figure it out, it's, it, it's like a daydream, you know, it, it shoots so well and it's so accurate and so forgiving. It, it just blows your mind. Yeah. I, you know, what's funny. I think a lot of people just, once they see like basically the pile of gold at, at the end of the rainbow, when they finally get their bow the way it should be, it's like, it's like nothing they've ever had in their hands before when it comes to, uh, comes to archery. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about real quick is the archery game in general and how I think we let ourselves overthink it too much. And Archery really is a game of trade-offs. Mm -hmm. So let's say you want to get more speed. Well, you're going to have to sacrifice something somewhere else. If you want to get more penetration, you're going to have to sacrifice something else. You want to shoot bigger broadheads, you're going to have to sacrifice something somewhere else. All it is is mm -hmm. just a game of Rob Peter to pay Paul the whole way around. Um, with that in mind with kind of harping on what you said the best way to uh kind of make it all coincide and coexist with each other is going the happy medium route and then just basically taking little bits and pieces from all the different various parts yeah all right yeah i, I would agree with that but uh like i said there, there's there's a lot of possibilities when it comes to, to archery and uh, a lot of uh, sacrifices that you gotta gotta make as well. 
Yep, without a doubt. All right. So, is there anything, Quentin, that you want to uh, to cover before we hop off here? We're over an hour now. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. It, time time flies. Um, it does. Uh, yeah. I just I just like to make uh, one point. Uh, I know that it's the beginning of the season, and uh, a lot of people is getting new to archery. And uh, the point that I'm going to make is if you're a first timer, enjoy it. Uh, don't let a lot of people uh, push you to go one way or the other. Just enjoy your time in the field. Um, you know, you, you've paid for everything and it's your tag. Um, I was happy when I first started um, shooting a spike all by myself. Um, like I said before at the beginning of the podcast, I had to teach myself how to shoot uh, correctly. And uh, I was lucky enough to, you know, get an internship that became a job at an archery shop. But when before all of that, I was teaching myself uh, and I only had a month to figure it out. I had a ground blind and I shot a spike at 20 yards and it didn't go far. But that spike has meant more in my archery journey than anything else because it, it you know, it was it was what I'd done at the beginning by myself. Um, I didn't wait for, you know, a, a Boone and Crockett buck to come out or anything. And um, today, you know, a lot of that is, is shown upon, but archery is fun. Um, archery should be a community where everybody helps one another. And uh, like I said, uh, at the beginning, it, it's your tag and you worked really hard for it. So uh, always keep that in mind if you're a newbie is, uh, you know, memories will last forever when it comes to, to, uh, to the sport of archery and, and hunting. You'll, you'll never forget the times that you had in the field. Absolutely. Couldn't have, couldn't have said it better myself. I 100% agree with you. All right, Quentin, uh, where can the listeners get a hold of you? How can they get a hold of your or find your social media? Uh, how do they get in contact with you to ask you any archery questions? Yeah, um, so I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. Uh, just go to Pioneer Outdoors and sh shoot me a meth message. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll definitely help you out. Um, uh, I try to help everyone as much as I can. Um, if you know, you're out of state, I'll definitely recommend some stuff to you. If you're in state, I would love for you to, uh, swing by and talk to me a little bit, but, um, Instagram and Facebook right now. And soon I will have a podcast of my own and a YouTube channel. And you can hit me up there as soon as they go live and it will be the same name, just pioneer outdoors. I'm just trying to keep it simple. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So Quentin's got some, uh, videos in the works that will be showing up here on various archery, uh, tips, tactics, the whole deal. Uh, I'd like to see a lot of form videos too coming out. Cause I think that's something that's like really, really underrated. Um, and yeah. would help a lot of, a lot of archers out, but I'll make sure I have all Quentin's contact information, um, social in the show notes so that you can shoot him a whole bunch of questions. Thank you, Quentin, for hopping on. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. I enjoyed 
enjoyed the time that we uh, discussed everything and hopefully we shed some light into uh, this difficult process of arrow tuning and broadhead tuning. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll have some more down the road where we can dive into some more rabbit holes. All right. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Whitetail Theories podcast.